I'll be honest, I'm pretty jacked up. I'm pretty jazzed. I'm pretty excited to get into God's word. Anybody with me today on that? We have been in the Gospel of John for about a thousand weeks now. This will be 1001. And the Gospel of John is amazing. We've been talking all about Jesus. He is amazing. And in the section of Scripture we're going to be in this morning, God has a really good, encouraging, helpful, impactful, practical word. Does that sound like something anybody might want to receive today? Good. Okay. Turn in your Bible that someone shook their head. That's funny. I disagree. I do not want that. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 7, verse 37. John 7, 37. And through the course of our day today, we're going to get down to the end of verse 52. The first thing we're going to see in this gospel of John 7, 37 through verse 39 is an invitation. Somebody say invitation. Yes. So let's read this together. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Anybody, by the way, sidebar like me, when someone starts talking about being thirsty, does it make you thirsty? Okay, good. I'm not crazy, at least for that reason. Uh, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, there's a pretty clear invitation in that scripture, but let's kind of work our way up to it. It says, on the last day of the feast, that feast, oh, I'll quiz you, this will be fun. Anybody know what feast it's talking about? Feast of Booths, gold star for a couple of you. Yes, this is the Feast of Booths. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's where Jesus was at that time. And if you'll remember, the Feast of Booths was a major high holiday on the Jewish calendar. And it was marked by three things. The first thing it marked was how God rescued his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. The second thing is how God faithfully led his people through the hostile wilderness. And the third thing is that it commemorated God bringing his people to the promised land. All three of those things kind of commemorate the faithfulness of God and the provision of God. And on the last day of the feast, which was the great day, it's like a fireworks show. At the very end, they set off the big kaboom. It's kind of like that. Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, something interesting about what he stood up and cried out is on the last day of the Feast of Booths, there was a particular ceremony and activity that would happen. The priests of Israel would take water out of a certain pool in Jerusalem and they would carry that water to the altar at the temple. And that ceremony was remembering how God provided water for them to drink while they were in the wilderness, in the desert. How many of you know there's not a lot of water to drink in the desert? Yes. So water is in view here. Everybody knows what's going on. And in the midst of that, Jesus stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts. Now, as I'd like to remind you, you guys are very smart people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're very smart. We're supposed to build each other up after all. 
You guys are very smart people, but honestly, even if you weren't, you would know about thirst. We all know about thirst. I'm getting a little thirsty myself just talking about it, like I said. It's those moments where your body obviously is lacking fluid. You need to hydrate. You are dry. You're parched. And you need to take in some water or some fluid to help kind of regulate things and make sure everything's working as it should. But I would submit this to you as well. There's such a thing as a thirst that goes beyond just a physical thirst, a physical need for water or fluid in your body. There's such thing as a soul level thirst. And I predict that you guys will know what that feels like. Those times in your life where things actually don't even necessarily need to be going all that badly, though maybe they are, but they don't have to be, but you're just feeling like something's not quite right. Something's not quite there. You're just lacking something. You're, you're in kind of a dry spell. You're kind of parched in that way. You're longing for more. Life, for whatever reason, just isn't seeming to be what you'd hoped that it would be. And you're kind of dragging yourself through each day. They're not really coming easy. And you're growing weary of that. Anybody ever felt like that before? Just a moment of honesty. Anybody felt that way? That is a kind of thirst. That's a soul level thirst. I would submit to you, there's probably some of us here today who are thirsty in that kind of a way. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's the invitation. You need to understand that that is God's heart for you, by the way. God's heart for you is a heart of invitation. Some people have in their minds the idea that God is distant, right? He's far away far off, doing his own thing. He's preoccupied with things other than me. He doesn't notice me, doesn't care about me. We're just kind of in different wavelengths on that. Well, that isn't what God is like at all, right? Some people think that God is just chronically angry and I've done so many bad things like, man, I hope that I don't meet the Lord somewhere in a back alley because he's gonna like put the boot down on me, right? That is not God's heart for you. God's heart for you is one of invitation. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect, so therefore God welcomes you. No, even in spite of our imperfections, even in spite of the desert that we go through, even in spite of the sin in our lives and our unrighteousness, God loves you. God created you. God has a plan for you. God has a life for you. And he is inviting you to it. He's inviting you. You. He is inviting. Like there's no exceptions here. Like God doesn't say, see, he doesn't say, if anyone who has their life all put together is thirsty, you can come and drink. Anybody whose church attendance is spotless, that's in the Greek somewhere, right? If anyone comes from the right background or, or has the right skin color or this or that or the other thing, he says, if anyone thirsts, you're in anyone you're included in this demographic. That is God's heart for you. And your thirst, you have to make the connection to what he's saying here. Your thirst, whatever your thirst is in your life, you might think, oh, it's, it's money. I, the reason I feel like I'm parched is because I, I need more money. That's, that's what it is. If I had money, that would solve all my problems. It probably wouldn't, just a sidebar. That's a different message for another day. Maybe you think it's that relationship that you want, but you don't have. If I just had that, that would satisfy me. Uh, that, that house, that car, that friend group, that whatever. 
Jesus is pointing something out here that goes way deeper than that. What he is saying is that the thirst you have is ultimately a soul level issue. It's a spiritual issue, whatever it is. Your thirst that you feel, that longing that you feel ultimately has something to do with your connection to God. I think that's pretty neat. Even if my thirst seems like it's a material thing or whatever, it's actually about God. And we said this a couple weeks ago that all of life is spiritual, remember? We don't do the sock drawer thing. Here's my spiritual life and my Toronto Maple Leafs life. And my, there's a lot of prayer that goes on there though. <clears throat> anyway, I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> let me try again. We don't do the sock drawer thing like the spiritual life and the work life and the home life and the whatever. All of life is spiritual. All of life was made by God and for God and we are supposed to live this life in the context of a relationship with Jesus so that anything and everything that happens to us, through us, in us, around us happens from that place of, you know what? I'm with Jesus, so I'm good. I'm gonna be okay. I might not like my circumstance, but I love Jesus. That is the life we're called to. All of life is spiritual. And Jesus is saying that thirst that you have is ultimately something that can only be satisfied by me. He doesn't say an option for you is to come and drink of me, but there's lots of other ones. No, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That word drink obviously is a verb. It's an action that we're supposed to do. And all that means, all that drink thing means, what he's inviting us to do is to Give ourselves to him, surrender ourselves to him, devote ourselves to him, spend time with him. How many of you know, like Jesus is a personal God and he wants a personal relationship with you. You think that, you, right? So spend time in his presence, praise him such as we've done today already. Pray to him frequently, just enjoy him, sit at his feet cultivate the relationship. That's what he's talking about there. And, and I want to ask you and ask myself this, not for an out loud answer, but just a silent in your mind answer. When's the last time that you, when's the last time that you drank? <laughs> it can be taken slightly out of context. This is not confession hour. When's the last time you drank? You just drank of the Lord. You just, you just tasted and have seen that he's good. You just, with no agenda other than just to be with him. When's the last time you carved out time to do that? For, it's, it, the amount of time is kind of secondary, to be honest. What I'm not saying is when's the last time you took the whole weekend and went out to some cabin in the woods with no electricity and you left your cell phone at home and you sat on the floor praying with your legs crossed or something. That's not what I mean. I mean, when's the last time you took an hour or half an hour or 15 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes just to be with Jesus? That's the invitation. And that's where we find the fulfillment and the satisfaction of that thirst we have. Jesus continues in verse 38. He said, whoever believes, somebody say believes. believes. Whoever believes in me. We've talked about that word believe. And here's, here's this thing that we sometimes like to do as Christians about this word believes. We get it wrong. This is something we should not do. We make believes out to be just, a, wow, you can really hear my head thumping. 
There's something in there, I think. We make out beliefs to be this mental thing only. Oh, it's some loose belief that just can float around in my mind once in a while, but it doesn't really make any difference in my life or whatever. That is not what believes really means when Jesus says it. When Jesus says, whoever believes in me, it's a heart thing. He even says heart right there out of his heart. It's a whole life thing. It's a commitment to him. It's a devotion to him. It's allegiance to him. It's surrender to him. It's giving yourself to him. That is what believes means. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says. Whoever, and that word drink is connected to it as well. If you believe in Jesus in that way, part of your life's work is that you're gonna drink of him and enjoy him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, by the way, the heart is a metaphor for the very center of who you are, the very core of who you are. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Even if we had no idea what that meant, doesn't that just sound like something you would want to have in your life? A river of living water, doesn't that sound good? One of you thinks it sounds good. Doesn't it sound good? Thank you. We've actually seen that phrase about living water before in the Gospel of John. In John 4, Jesus met the woman at the well, if you remember. And he said to her, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water to drink. And we said that living water, whatever it is, it's something that's dynamic, it's fresh, it's vibrant, it's exciting, it's life-giving, it's sustaining. And here we get a little more meat on the bone about what that living water actually is. Look at verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit. spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The river of living water What that's talking about is the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that gets me really excited, friends, because, you know what? We can sometimes blow past the Holy Spirit wrongly. I'm not suggesting we do that. Oh, yeah, Holy Spirit, yeah, let's carry on. But it's important that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. So let's just pause for a minute. We're gonna have a brief crash course on the Holy Spirit today. Somebody say, that sounds like fun. First thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit, it's not an it. It's not some impersonal force. It's a he. The Holy Spirit is a personal God. The Holy Spirit is God. Answer me this. This is not a trick question. How many gods do we have? Right answer. Good job. We have one God, and one of the great mysteries that's really hard to wrap our minds around, but we definitely receive it as true, by all means, is the fact that we have one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead, the Trinity, and he has always existed. He's not some created being. If you go all the way back to the start of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says that as creation was being established, the Spirit was there hovering over the waters. Not, oh, God then made the Spirit. No, he was already there. He's God. He's God from eternity past. And the way it works is that the Holy Spirit 
He does lots of things, but one of the things that he does is he comes to dwell inside human beings. That sounds cool, right? That isn't even just religious, churchies, jargon speak. Like the Holy Spirit literally comes to dwell within people if it's a person who has been saved. When you confess the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you repent of your sin and turn from the road you've been walking and you say, I'm going to walk with Jesus, when you accept him as your Lord and Savior and trust in him for your salvation and surrender your life to Jesus, Acts 2.38 says you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a good gift. That's a good gift. We've probably all gotten some lousy gifts before on our birthdays. Hey, the day, the day you were born again, you've got a really good gift, the Holy Spirit. And I'll say this to you. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have been born again and Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. It's not some, it's not some A team and B team thing like, oh, some Christians have the Holy Spirit, but some don't. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we always acknowledge the work of the Spirit in our lives. That doesn't mean that we, if you're anything like me, sometimes we can wrongly ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings. We can do things that grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit. We can disregard, we cannot yield to him, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not there. Just like you can't lose your salvation, right? You can't lose the Holy Spirit, even if you're not always kind of regarding him. And the Holy Spirit, I say, does lots of things. When he comes to dwell within you as a believer, he does so to strengthen you, to guide you. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, the word says, to guide us, to lead us, to make us more like Jesus. That's really ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I wanna tell you this, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, when he is moving and stirring in your life, amazing, powerful, wonderful, God-sized things can happen. Amazing things. You wanna know why? Because he's God. For instance, in no particular order, and this is not an exhaustive list, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, one of the things that can happen is you, watch my hands, mysteriously, coincidentally, you can come into power. Somebody say power. Power, power for instance, to overcome sin, right? I've heard testimony after testimony of I was wrapped up and in bondage in this sin, but then the Holy Spirit, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I had power to walk away from that. Right, like sin is so frustrating to try to walk away from in your own power. It, it really doesn't work. But when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, suddenly you have power to do it. The Holy Spirit, when he moves in your life, he has a way of sweeping away fear, right? We worry, we are afraid. We occupy ourselves with fear a lot of the time. But when the Holy Spirit comes along, he shoves that out of the way, right? There's no fear in love. God is love. When God shows up in your life, he blasts the fear out of your way. When the Holy Spirit is moving and active in your life, for instance, one of the things he can do is he can give you a greater understanding of the scriptures. Dare I say it, he can actually give you a love for the scriptures, which is awesome. You can, on your own power, try to read this book and what is this? Oh, my word, I don't know. When the Holy Spirit 
is working in you, it, he brings this to life. I, like, I, I love it when I hear people say, I just, I, I don't know, I feel, I just love the Bible. Like that's an awesome thing. And the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. He can do things like he can usher in great peace, great joy, abounding hope, great contentment. It's wonderful, awesome stuff. Sometimes when the Spirit moves in your life, it can be accompanied by moves and works and displays of great power. For instance, the Spirit can give you incredible boldness. Somebody say boldness boldness just to do things that you never thought you'd have the strength to do and all of a sudden you're stepping out and you're doing them. That's pretty cool. Sometimes when the spirit moves, there it's accompanied by things like speaking in tongues or words of prophecy or, or healings, for instance. And there are branches of Christianity that would hear that and say, oh, no, 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 I, I disagree with that. I don't, I don't think so. That's not for today or that's not, at least not for my life. And what I would say to you is this, let's not limit the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's not quench the Holy Spirit just because our minds are small and we think, I'm not sure about that. He's God. And if he wants to move a certain way, let's have that. We just say yes to that. Now, similarly, but a little bit different, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves, it's not always the big, visible, prominent, kind of loud thing. Sometimes he moves in ways that are subtle and maybe only noticed and experienced by you. Other people might not even see it. For instance, he might bring about great contentment in your life, just a peace in your life, a satisfaction that just fills your heart. If you're like by yourself, other people don't even know that that's happening maybe, but there it is within you. That's still the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there, there are some branches, again, of Christianity that would say, no, 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 the, the Spirit is evident in your life. In fact, your salvation is evident when you can stand up and speak in tongues. And if you're not speaking in tongues while well, you don't really have the Holy Spirit and you're not really saved, I don't really think so. I don't think so. We can't despise, watch my hands, we can't despise the small things of the Spirit either. There aren't really any small things of the Spirit, but you, do you know what I mean, right? And I am no master expert tell you everything that could possibly be said about the Holy Spirit, nor do I have anything at all to boast in, but please allow me to boast in the Lord. Will you allow me to do that for a minute? I have, somebody's like, yeah, of course, course we will. And, and I would suspect you guys have testimonies like this too. But since I'm the one with the microphone, I'll tell them. So I know in my life, I've seen the spirit move kind of in both of those ways, the really like prominent ways and kind of in the subtle ways. So for instance, I remember one time I just felt a, 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 an overwhelming, immediate sense of the Holy Spirit saying to me, Braden, you go and tell that person that you care about that that thing they're thinking about doing is a bad idea and it's not God's will. And part of me, a small part of me was like, what? And you start to do that. Well, it's none of my business. I don't want to hurt the friend. But no, the spirit won out. I just felt such a boldness in that moment. And I went to that person and I said, that thing you're thinking about doing, not a good idea. It's not God's will. And I walked away and I was like, I can't believe I just said that on my own power. Like, I, I don't think I would have had the boldness to do that. That's just one example. Another example, kind of on the other side of things, the, the more subtle kind of things. I remember one day a few years ago, it was a Saturday afternoon. I was off work, sky's the limit. I can do whatever I want and I'm young and let's like, I'm just free and here we go. But I was coming down with a stomach bug. 
head. Do you know how that is when you're like going down the sometimes gradual descent into the oblivion of sickness, right? It was like that. Gradually throughout the morning and into the afternoon, I was just feeling worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And something about me, I hate to nap. I don't nap. I don't like to just lie around in the middle of the day. Just not my thing. Nobody judge me. But I ended up flat on the couch, middle of the afternoon on this beautiful day. I was not happy. But I started talking to the Lord. And it was not a spiritual prayer, as I remember it. It was, not, it was, Lord, like, this is the worst. Please help. Amen. That was kind of my prayer. But I, I, just, I will never forget this. While I was talking to the Lord, I felt immediately, like a, the snap of a finger, this great joy came into my heart, into my soul. Just a great, overwhelming, not like, oh, I'm happy for something. It, it was all-encompassing, overwhelming. It just washed over me. And I was filled with peace and I was filled with gratitude. I don't mind telling you because I'm bragging about the Lord. I literally, I started crying. I was a mess, but I was feeling such joy in the Lord. By the way, that did not correspond to my circumstances. I was violently ill later on. It was not good. But that's just a couple little examples of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again, I would suspect some of you guys have more and even greater amazing testimonies about that. But he works in us. And what I don't want you to miss, I could preach on this thing all day, man, but what I don't want you to miss is the connection here. Jesus says you can have this river of living water in your life. Do you want a river of living water, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Yes, and look at the connection, what he says. That comes about when we drink, when we believe in him, when we give ourselves to Jesus, that sort of unlocks the key for the river of living water to flow. Now, we can't force God to do anything. It's not about doing some certain religious ritual to get this to start. It's not about saying a particular certain prayer, but it's about coming to a place where you're totally given to Jesus, right? If we are full of ourselves, if we are occupied with our own agenda, not really interested in the Lord, I'm not saying he can't fill you with the spirit. I'm not saying that he won't, but I'm saying it's probably less likely. But when we are in the place, when we are given fully to Jesus, he promises a river of living water. It's right there, people. We can't miss it. One small example, small example from scripture in the book of Acts chapter four, I think it's verse 31. The believers, it says, were praying together. They got together. They were seeking the Lord together. They were all in for Jesus together. In fact, they were praying for boldness is what they were doing. And it says at that moment, they were filled with the spirit and the place where they were meeting shook. God showed up when they were given to him. Does that make sense today? Some of you guys, I will say again, I know some of you guys are thirsty some of you guys are parched. Some of you guys are longing and lacking and there seems to be something missing in your life. And my prayer for you is that you would come to know and experience the rivers of living water in your life. Can we just pause for a moment? I wanna just pray. We're gonna pause. Lord, we're praying for the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, come and fill us with your spirit today. Flood our minds, flood our thoughts. I pray, God, in this moment for the one, especially who is struggling this morning, 
who is doubting, who is worrying, who is being tossed about. Lord, fill us with your spirit, God. Lord, I pray for the one that isn't saved yet. God, who has not received the spirit in the first place, God. Bring about the conviction of the need to be saved in Jesus Christ, Lord. We want to be spirit-led and spirit-filled people. God, we know we cannot live the full life that you have for us unless we're filled with the spirit. So let it be so, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen. So that's the promise. That's the invitation. I love that. That's one of my favorite sections in the book of John. But there's more today. Now that we've established what Jesus has for us and what we can have in our lives, what we're gonna see in the rest of our text are a couple of warnings or a couple of clues, a couple of things we should take to heart if we're gonna position ourselves to, to be in that flow of the river of living water, okay? Because you guys know, sometimes life is really hard, right? Can someone agree life is hard? Yes. Sometimes we are not as sharp or as given to the Lord as we could or should be. Sometimes Satan is working on us and at us and he's trying to throw us off. And when we get pulled this way and that way, when we stop drinking and believing and, and abiding in Jesus and being given to Jesus as we should, it kind of takes us a little bit out of position. Again, I'm not saying God can't move in your life. The Spirit won't move in your life. But I don't know about you. I want to be as positioned as I can be to see the move of the Holy Spirit in my life. Do you want that? So let's read the re- uh, a little bit of the rest of our text here. It says this, verse 40. When the people heard these words, some of them said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Like you can see on the screen right here, the first thing that we need to take into account, the first thing that we want to do to position ourselves for the long haul of being in the flow, the work of the Holy Spirit is this. You've got to know and grow in the word. If you think the scriptures are at all detached from your growth and your experience of Christ, you are mistaken. Very important, very central. And like it says here, look what we can see. Verse 40, that first verse. Some people said of Jesus, this really is the prophet. Somebody say prophet. prophet. Notice that's a capital P. That's talking about a specific person. That's a title for one individual. That was predicted all the way back from Deuteronomy 18.11. Moses said, God is gonna raise up from among you a prophet who is like you and he's gonna be over you. Some people said, oh, Jesus is that prophet. But others said, like they disagreed, they countered, and they said, no, this is the Christ. Well, I got news for you. The prophet and the Christ are the same individual. They're two different titles for the same person. That's Jesus. But they didn't get that. They didn't really connect the dots. You can even just kind of tell. They sort of kind of knew the scriptures. They sort of kind of maybe had an idea what to look for, but they couldn't connect the dots that Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those things. Some people even went further and said, well, but if he's the Christ, right? The Christ is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the savior. The Christ though, isn't supposed to come from Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up. He was from Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? Guess who Jesus was descended from? 
David. Isn't the Christ supposed to come from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Somebody tell me where Jesus was born. You can tell that these guys kind of knew the scriptures, right? But they couldn't put it all together. If only they had connected the dots here. If only they had, I don't know, like asked him, hey, Jesus, where were you born? Can we see your family tree on ancestry.com or whatever, right? But they don't get it. They miss it. We can't afford to miss who Jesus is. And here's the point. Knowing and growing in the scriptures is going to help us to do that. And so you have to see how we fit into that in our day, by the way. Because in our day, there is not a little problem. There's a massive epidemic of people who do not read the scriptures. They don't know the scriptures. They don't study the scriptures. They don't invest in the scriptures. I could understand that to a point for people that aren't Christians. A lot of non-Christians don't really give a rip about the Bible. They should, but they don't. The problem I want to highlight, though, are Christians that don't read their Bible. That wouldn't be any of you guys, of course, but Christians in some other church somewhere, right? Oh, I love it. A lot of times we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We claim him as Lord and Savior, but his word sits on the shelf. The app on our phone remains closed. It props up the short leg of the couch. It collects dust, whatever. And that is a huge problem. These are the words of life, people. This is not some book, oh, I'm bored, I got nothing else to do, I'll read a story. Like, no. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, it's useful, it is worth something, it's good for you. Hebrews 4.12 says that this word is living and active, it is sharp, it accomplishes things, it is powerful. This word, please clap for that actually, yes. This word right here. It's a living word. It brings us to life. There is power in the word. But a lot of times we're content to just come on a Sunday morning and have a little sip from the preacher, right? Oh, Braden has mentioned several scriptures today. I got a little bit more of a sip. No, listen, that's such a falling short. That's tragic because when you don't know and grow in the word, which by the way is a lifetime worth of work, you never arrive at that. When you don't know and grow in the word, you're not gonna be as grounded and as rooted in Christ as you could be, arguably should be. You're not gonna be able to stand up as easily to the, to the resistance that you're gonna face from the world, from our enemy, from all this. You need the scriptures. If we could just be honest, I'm not saying this to be hard on anybody, there's also not really any excuse to not read them. You know what I mean? We make excuses and get in line behind me about the excuses, right? I'm busy. I don't really want to. I have other things I'd rather do, right? That, that was my story, straight up. And I still have my moments, by the way, but there's no excuse. You, like you and I literally, you can just open the book. You can go into a Christian bookstore and buy one of these without like, having to look around, like, right, to make sure no one's going to throw something at you. You can pull this up on your app, on your phone. It takes two seconds. It's a free app. You can read the Bible anytime, place. Do you know there are places in the world where you literally can't even get a Bible? 
They're just nowhere to be found. And if you are found with one, some places in the world, they'll literally kill you for it. You're just killed for it because you have a Bible. And here we are, and we just don't read them. It makes no sense. What I want to say to you is that the Holy Spirit, river of living water, the Holy Spirit does amazing things in us when we are committed to the word, straight up. Again, I am no expert. I am no master of this. I am no perfect practitioner of this. But please allow me to boast in the Lord again. I was not, in my early adult years, didn't read this hardly at all. Here was my excuse. I come to church. I'm, I'm there every Sunday. Didn't read it through the week. But the Lord... I'm happy to boast in him. He has changed my heart on this. He's actually given me a love for the word. You know, it's possible. You can actually love reading the Bible. You can love the word. And that's such a better place to be than I don't care about this. I don't read it, put it away. It's amazing. I promise you something. Your life will change. Your experience with God will change. Your walk with Christ will change. Your experience with the Holy Spirit will change if you commit yourself to the word. I guarantee that will happen. Guaranteed. But you got to invest. You got to invest in it. And obviously the cool thing is when you know the word more and more and you start to grow in the word more and more, you can start putting it into practice more and more. Don't be hearers or readers of the word only, be doers of the word. And the more you know and grow and do the scriptures, John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, I will come to him and I will make my home with him. Like we can't miss this. I don't want you guys to miss this. This is literally life changing. So if we are gonna position ourselves to be in the flow of the river of living water, we gotta know and grow in the word. Can we just agree on that right now? Okay, the last one then, the second thing we gotta do, if we're gonna position ourselves to be in the flow of the Holy Spirit as best as we can, something we've gotta do is you've gotta know who you're listening to. Let's read the rest of our verses here. Verse 45 to 52, it says, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? In other words, they said, you go arrest Jesus. They came back empty-handed. What's, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They did not like that answer. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any, listen, you can hear them. You could picture them puffing out their chest when they say this. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in this Jesus? Ah, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. It's the crowd's fault. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, we read about him in John chapter three. He's the you must be born again guy who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They didn't like that either. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. These were the religious leaders. These were the people who taught the scriptures. These were the people who knew the law. They had a big responsibility. They had authority and influence over other people. And they completely missed it. Their agenda, their heart, their desire 
has nothing to do with Jesus. Actually, it does. They wanted to put him to death. They wanted to just get rid of him. Okay, that's the wrong thing. And they have authority and influence over people. People followed them. People listened to them. People valued their opinion. Don't miss this for our day as well, friends. We all listen to somebody. We all listen to something or to someone. We all take our cues in life from somewhere. The question is not, am I listening to someone? The question is, who am I listening to and where are they leading me? These guys here totally missed it. Verse 47, they say, have you also been deceived? Ironically, they were the ones that were deceived, but they were so proud. You Jesus people, you're wrong. You're deceived. They say, none of us smart people have believed in Jesus. What does that say about you? You must not be a smart people person. It's the crowd's fault. See how they have no ownership of this at all. Oh, the crowd's deceived. It's their fault. It has nothing to do with their leadership, nothing to do with their influence. The crowd is accursed. Nicodemus tries to call them on it. Can't we at least hear the guy out? No. Are you from Galilee also? That's a huge insult, by the way. That was completely intended as an insult. What kind of backwoods hick town are you from, Nicodemus? These guys were totally self-righteous, totally full of themselves, totally actually they were the ones who were deceived. They were unapproachable, unteachable, and they were not leading people to Jesus. I was talking to Sean about this one this week and he said, Brayden, these people were literally leading the people straight to hell. This is the blind leading the blind. And if you don't think that has any bearing on your life today, you are mistaken. Because there are voices, there are influences, there are people all around us that we can listen to. And when we start to listen to people and receive what they're saying and it starts to rub off on us and we start to believe it, we start to live like it, if we're not listening to the right people, we can be thrown right off the trail of Jesus. And it can happen so quickly. It can happen so, it doesn't even seem sinister. But this can happen. The media, for instance, right? The, the TV shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, the podcasts that you take in. There's nothing wrong with music or TV or podcasts. What are they saying to you? Where are they leading you? Maybe it's that friend group you have. There's nothing wrong with having friends. But where are they leading you? Where, where are they trying to influence you to go? Maybe it's, maybe it's something of a spiritual nature. Listen, there's all kinds of false teachers out there, prosperity gospel preachers, progressive teachers. They'd love to lead you down a road that actually doesn't lead you closer to the Jesus in the Bible. Who are you listening to? Who do you take your cues from? I'm not saying you've got to do away with, oh, don't watch TV. What'd the preacher say? Throw my TV out, right? Get rid of my phone. Don't listen to music. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. We don't have to be afraid of these things. Greater is he who lives in us than he was in the world, right? We don't have to be afraid, but we've got to be aware because you can get dragged right off the trail and not even know it. So we've got to think for ourselves is what I'm saying. We've got to discern. We've got to test the spirits. Don't just blindly follow what someone's saying. Can I actually tell you something? Don't even just blindly follow what I'm saying. I, 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 like I hope that 
I and your leaders here are known to you guys. I hope there's trust here. No one's like thrown anything at me, so that's good. But don't even just take my word for it. Look, I'm telling you all about this Jesus guy. Do the work, do the research yourself. See if what we're saying is true. I, I, I would be so happy to hear that. Well, Braden, you said this, and so I went and looked up, I went and looked that up, and here's what I found. Great, awesome. We gotta know who we're listening to. And we've got to know, does this thing I'm listening to, does this person, does this ideology, does this message, does this philosophy, does this lead me closer to Jesus or further from Jesus? Very practical. Like there's work for us to do here. But here's what I want to do. I want to wrap up. I don't want to be like that guy, oh, it was Paul who just preached on and on into the night at all hours. And let's wrap up, okay? Let's just sum this up. Life leaves us wanting and lacking. Life leaves us parched. Life is difficult. And actually, it's a soul-level thirst that only Jesus can do something about. Luckily, he invites us to come and drink. What a good God he is, amen? He invites us to drink, to come and sit at his feet, to receive from him first salvation of your soul. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you've never turned to him and repented of your sin, he's inviting you to do that. He is inviting you to surrender your life, to take up your cross and to follow him. He's inviting us. A lot of us in the room are believers. He's inviting us to relationship. Come, be with me. Abide in me, drink of me, believe in me, give yourself to me. And when we do that, we put ourselves in the position to receive the flow, the work, the movement of the Holy Spirit. I want that for you guys. I want that for me. I want, I want us to be a spirit-filled church, honestly, more and more and more. Till the day that we're all gone and or, and or Jesus comes back, I want us to more and more know and experience the Holy Spirit. And as we saw in the word, two things, there's lots of things we can do, but two things we can do to position ourselves to make sure we're, we're in line for that flow of the Holy Spirit. It's to know and grow in the word and it's to know who we're listening to. We got homework, straight up homework on this one, right? We got stuff to do, but it's very good and it's for the betterment and the benefit of our souls. Amen?